0: Well, good morning. Today uh, in our Remnant series, we're going to turn a distinct corner. Now in this Remnant series, we, we're tackling this whole series of messages from three main um, angles. First of all, the first four weeks we on the Remnant reality. That is uh, getting to this place of acknowledgement that we who will follow Jesus Christ are no longer in the center place of our culture. We've been marginalized uh, to a great deal, and we have to learn then how to influence from the margins. I, I liked a, a comment that Pastor Steve made when he was here, Pastor Steve Deneff. Um, I have to tell you which Steve, because there's a lot of Steves around here anymore. Um, but he said this, we often think that great people in our culture are those people with talents and gifts and charisma. But he said perhaps a, a missing ingredient and, and an important ingredient is the leader, the person who gets the times that we live in. And then, out of that, wisdom interacts with that culture. That is what the remnant reality piece of the series is all about getting to this place of understanding and recognition of the times that we find ourselves in. Then we went into a four week. series on virtues that we need to live out in order to live the right kind of life in the times we find ourselves in. And we looked at uh, restraint among the unrestraint, That's the virtue of purity. Then we looked at uh, civility in, in, in the midst of incivility. That's really the uh, virtue of loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, being civil to other people is the beginning point of loving other people. And so that was about the virtue of loving other people. And then Pastor Steve Deneff talked on the virtue of integrity. And he, I love this chart. Integrity is the collision of goodness and truthfulness and courage. We have to be people who have the courage to say what is true with the right motivation in the times we find ourselves in. And then last week we looked at the virtue of generosity. Generosity is so big because in our narcissistic, self-centered society, when we're generous folk, we're going to stand out. And God is a generous God. And we look like God when we're generous. For God loved and he gave. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. The two go hand in hand. And so generosity is an important thing for us uh, to um, demonstrate in these times. This morning, we enter into the last two weeks of this series. And we're going to really tackle the question of how does one who's a remnant now respond to the times we find ourselves in. And this morning I'm going to tackle this topic matter of when do we resist, when do we submit. I want us to become thinkers. About the times we find ourselves in, I want us to become led by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, biblically influenced in the way that we approach things. And so this morning, we're going to kind of look at, at this topic matter of, of submission and resistance, but we're going to do so enlightened by the person of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, amen? Listen, the Western Church has a heritage of resistance, are you aware of that? In fact, we hardly ever talk about denominational here. I never do. I never even mention that we're a Wesleyan church. A lot of you may not even know we are one or care that we're one. Here's why I don't know if that matters that much. What we really want people here to experience is Jesus Christ. We want you all to have an encounter with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, once want you to have that over and over again. That's our chief desire here, that everything that we do is, is centered on Jesus Christ and then that you, you grow in that, that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and then you become one who goes out into the community and you live it out. Amen? That's what we really want. That's what we're about here at, at Grace Point Church. And so we very rarely talk about our Western heritage. Um, you know why we talk about Jesus so much? Because that's what heaven's all about. Do you realize that? When we get to heaven, the centerpiece of heaven is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. John, the apostle, was caught up in the spirit and, and taken to heaven. And Here's some of the words he penned in Revelation 5. Listen to these words, verses 11 through 14. He said, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. That's Jesus who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then they heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worship. You know, what are they doing in heaven right now? Worshiping Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of heaven. So it behooves you and me to make Jesus the centerpiece of our life right now. Because that's what we're going to spend eternity focusing on. Amen? That's what we're about here at Grace Point, making Jesus the centerpiece. All right, with that said, I want to talk a little bit about our history, though. We do have a history of some resistance at appropriate times to what's going on in culture. Adams Crooks was a Wesleyan pastor. He's trying to do a church plant in the 1800s in North Carolina. He spoke out loudly against an issue of his day, Slavery. The courts in that area in North Carolina ruled that the Constitution did not apply to a true Wesleyan minister. They they basically said, your beliefs don't count. And they ruled that his beliefs weren't constitutionally covered because he was a Wesleyan minister. So Adam, not to be derailed and distracted, took on a different angle. He said, Slavery is stealing. It's man stealing. And so he took that angle and he said it violates the Ten Commandments of God. So later on, he's handing out Ten Commandments to people and he was arrested for endorsing slavery. <laughs> you know, and then he was kicked out of North Carolina. That's our heritage. He resisted when something needed to be resisted. Slavery's wrong. Wesleyan churches, by the way, were involved with the Underground um, Railroad. Now, that term Underground Railroad means just a connection of houses and institutions that would help usher slaves from the south to freedom in the north and, and, and to Canada. So there is something good about Canada. Sorry, Ben's not here. So, at any rate, uh, he just got married. Uh, so he's probably not thinking about this anyway. Um, good for Ben. Wesleyans were devoutly religious folk ahead of their time when it came to this issue. So when you like the question of how do we respond respond to the times we find, um, there is a time to resist, amen? Sometimes there is a time to say, enough, and resist, amen, right? But it has to be done with a correct attitude, and I think that attitude consists of two main aspects. I want to talk with you about that for a minute. First of all, you have to have courage, now, courage simply means I'm going to do right in spite of the consequences. That's all courage means. It doesn't mean you're a brave person. You might be full of fear, and yet you do right in spite of the consequences. There's a time to have courage to say, I have to do what's right in spite of what will happen to me. Back in the day, in a few hundred years ago, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, there were probably two main resources you had. Um, to, to help you in, in your following of the Lord. One was your Bible, and the second one was this thing called uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It tells about all the ones that were martyred for their faith who went down uh, to the point of death rather than denial uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. You know, interestingly enough, when you open this up, the very first one that you read about in here is it, the story of Stephen in the, in the, in the um, New Testament, Stephen's talked about um, and um and it's interesting his story. Um Stephen was Appointed uh, to a position in that early church because the disciples were being overwhelmed by uh, ministry needs, and so they they found some men full of the Holy Spirit and full of the um, uh, gift of God of, of power, and they and they and they said, "You guys, you guys go ahead and wait on the tables and take care of the physical needs. Uh, the rest of us are going to devote our time to prayer and to the ministry of the word." Stephen was one of those guys that was appointed to help out the apostles, but this guy, according to Acts chapter six verse five, he was full of God's grace, and he did. He did many wonders and miraculous uh, signs among the people. and opposition rose against him uh, from the synagogue. And these men argued with Stephen, but he was so full of the spirit that he prevailed against them and he frustrated them. And so they, in secret, got some people to accuse him of blasphemy uh, against God. And they had Stephen uh, brought before the rulers of that day, the Sanhedrin, for a trial. So before this crowd of adversaries, Stephen gave one of the most articulate Spirit-filled defenses and, uh, about Jesus that you overread read. It's, it's found in, in Acts chapter 7. It's a wonderful read. But he, Stephen, was led to resist, to stand fast, it took great courage. It, he, he did this. He, he, he took a, a stand in spite of the consequences, and he suffered consequences. He was stoned uh, to, to death. All the apostles of Jesus basically gave their life. In the following of Jesus, uh, they tried to boil John to death. It didn't take. And so, you know, but they, 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 they basically all stood and they faced the consequences of their standing. They had the courage to do so. And they were all crucified or, or beheaded or killed in other ways like stoning. And uh, So sometimes you, you're called to take a stand. But with that stand of resistance, oftentimes it's a submission to consequences. Sometimes we think resistance and submission are contrary things. They often go together. They often go together. Second second part that you need to have uh, if you're going to have right resistance is a a right disposition, a right disposition. You you have to resist not out of anger, not out of self-righteousness, not with a militant attitude, but you have to be what? Pure, have the virtues of love, of integrity, generosity, You have to be willing to die, but not willing to kill. You have to have the right disposition. Stephen modeled the right disposition for us. In Acts chapter 7, verse 59, it says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He He died. Doesn't that look a lot like Jesus? The first martyr looks a lot like Jesus. He started the era of the New Testament martyrdom. That's continued on through today of Christians. He looked an awful lot like Jesus in his disposition. So there's a time to resist, but there's also a time to submit. Uh, Peter says in, in the epistle of 1 Peter, in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, you might read this and say, Ah, no way, you don't know my boss. You don't know who's over me and how ungodly they are. Let me give you some background to the writing of this epistle. At the time of the writing of this epistle, the emperor that Peter's referring to was Nero. He's the baddest of the bad. He was infamous, as a Roman ruler goes. He's best known for his debaucheries, his political murders, the murder of his wife, his mother-in-law, persecution of Christians. He had a passion for music that was a little bit strange. It's rumored that. Well, uh, Rome burned in AD 64, I think it was. He fiddled. He just was a different dude he used Christians as human torches. He was cruel. He blamed them for everything wrong with Rome. That's the emperor that he's referring to here in 1 Peter. That makes it a little different, doesn't it, when you read it that way? Maybe your boss isn't so bad. Amen? He hasn't lit you on fire yet, has he? Let me know if that's happening. We may need some help. At any rate, Here's why this is important. Submission to ungodly authority can be used by God. That's why this is so important. We'll get to this more as the message unfolds. So this is a, some information to get you percolating on what I want to share with you now. The next few moments, what I want to share with you is super important. But I wanted to give you a little bit of background on resistance and submission, just so you're thinking along these lines and you have some tension going on in here. But get this, they're not contrary terms, submission submission. And resistance, they go together oftentimes, okay? They work in conjunction. Um, Here's our big thought for the message this morning. As Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for everything, a time to speak and a time to be silent, a time to submit, a time to stand fast against and resist. I am not going to give you a formula this morning about how to do this. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit in you will tell you what to do. It's not about a formula. It's about a life, a life lived rightly before the Lord. And so what I want to do is show you a life that had this stuff down. It's Daniel, the Old Testament. He lived a life with this tension of submission and resistance and living in the most adverse circumstances you can imagine under ungodly rulers, and he not only survived it, he thrived in it. He was sent to his room, but even though he was sidelined and marginalized by all human standards, that boy was used mightily by God to lead back into the center of the culture he found himself in. So we're going to look at Daniel. He's an example of understanding the right time, the right time to submit, the right time to resist, and how to do all that. But I want you to really get the sentence down I'm going to share with you right now because this is a huge thought. The best resistance is often a counteroffer. Did you hear that? The best resistance is often a counter-offer. And the most effective submission is often loyalty. It looks like loyalty to those in charge. Not blind following, but loyalty. And counter-offer, instead of having an attitude to kind of, you can't make me do it, it's an attitude more of, well, here's some alternatives. So Daniel was initially carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. So he was, in a sense, sidelined, sent to his room, exiled. Was it put into a timeout? But he found a way from that position on the sides of culture to really lead back into the center, uh, even though he never got back into the center himself. He was really close to God. Daniel was a man close to God, but he was also really close to God-haters of his day. Did you just hear what I said? Daniel was very close to God, but he was also very close to those against God. He was in exile for 70 years. He went through four dynasties. He has a lot to say about living under ungodly authority, living under adverse circumstances. That's what we're going to look at now. We're going to look at this life. How did he do it? And the essential perspective that you see in Daniel's life was this. God is present, whatever the circumstances, even in exile. And this was a profound thought for the ancient Jew, that God's present whatever be the circumstances, because they thought of God's presence as being in certain kind of circumstances. The common Jewish symbols uh, for God's presence were land, the temple, and the king. They thought these things were indicators of God being present among his people. He had given them the land that they were in, he had given them the temple that they worshipped at, and he had ordained uh, the kings that were over them. Get this, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, in those short two verses, all that's lost for the ancient people of Israel. In fact, it says in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and what? Besieged it, the land's gone. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, king's gone. Along with some of the articles of the temple of God, temple's gone. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So all the identifying markers are gone for the ancient people of Israel. But here's what's profound. In the book of Daniel, we still see God at work in Daniel's life. That's on purpose. That's showing that God isn't restricted by land or kings or temples. Amen? He works in the lives of those who follow after him hard. This is a profound concept. With eight and two. It should not be profound for us. Amen. We should not get this. We should understand it. We humans tend to gravitate towards trust in all kinds of things. Institutions and traditions and governments and money and whatever you could put in there. God oftentimes allows such things to be removed so that we come to the simple place of trust and faith in Him and Him alone. In fact, God wants us even to voluntarily throw off hindrances that cause us to be distracted from our following after him hard. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, get after this. It's just one of my favorite sections of the Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that would be people like this in the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, that would be such a cloud of witnesses. It'd be the biblical characters like Daniel, like Noah, like Abraham, like Peter, John, Like Abigail, like Esther, you you fill in the blank. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance a race marked off for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not are weary and that you will not lose heart all those who have gone before us say throw out the things that distract you throw off all the hindrances And guess what? when you're sidelined what happens when you're in the margin what happens it's a throwing off of hindrances maybe you don't want to do it but that's what's happening and daniel experienced a thing but then daniel did something incredibly important in that position he cried out to god he followed after God hard. That's what we need to be learning from this guy, to follow after God hard in the margins. Because in the margins, life's simpler. And decisions oftentimes are more clear. i we going to follow God? or I'm not going to follow God here. In Daniel's case, he turned to God. See, Daniel experienced the presence of God while in exile, okay? So I'll give you the note if you're a note taker. Um, he not only survived, he thrived. Um, different dynasties, different kingdoms, he's thrived. And so... What I want to do for a few moments is talk to you about how Daniel survived so well. Hopefully we can use some of those truths and insights and bring them into our time and our age. I'm going to set the rest of the message up as a... um, Uh, um, acrostic, okay, and so that just means we're going to use the word lead, L-E-A-D, and some phrases after it, Um, and and basically what we're going to talk about is how do I lead when I find myself in the margins of culture. Now, I don't mean I'm in charge when I use the word lead. I don't mean people are saying, okay, what should we do next? I mean when I use that word lead, how do we lead the situations that we are finding ourselves in back to some kind of god Situation where God is known and God is made known, okay? So we're kind of always leading towards the kingdom uh, 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 of God, okay? So that, that's what I mean by the word lead, leading people to the right place and situations to the right place. I'm going to take all these points from Daniel chapter 1 uh, through 6. So if you want to read that on your own, I, it's, it's a worthy read. Um, so how do you lead in trying situations? First of all, you have loyalty over agenda. Daniel's taken to captivity and right away. They want him and his buddies to eat food that they would not find kosher, that they would not eat as a Jew. So Daniel gives a suggestion for an alternate meal of vegetables. But the guard over him is concerned that if he and his buddies eat this vegetable meal that they might not look as ruddy and as, as youthful and as healthy as the other young men. And this guard then would get in a lot of trouble. He could lose his life. And so Daniel says, you know, Let's work together on this. See, Daniel was loyal to this guy. He understood the guard's situation. He didn't say, well, that's your problem. I'm not eating those vegetables. I'm not eating that meat. You know what I mean? I'm just going to eat my vegetables. How many kids would ever say that? Just thought of that. Anyway, but you follow what I'm saying here. And, um, he, he had a loyalty to the guard. He, he, he was the guard's friend. He had compassion for the guard. Most religious folk that I know lead with agenda. Boom, 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 boom. And they show no loyalty, no concern for those over them. And we're kind of our own worst enemy. Oftentimes, the people over us, the people we're dealing with, need a friend first. Someone that they feel is for them, not against them. So here's the question Who's over you in your life? Who's over you in your life? Do you know what challenges they're facing? Are you loyal to them? Do you have an agenda? Or would it just be a loyal, loyal friend, a loyal, a, a, a loyal worker? Uh, Daniel didn't compromise his convictions because of his loyalty. He, he purposed not to defile himself. But he went to the guard and he had, what, compassionate concern for the guard situation too, amen? It wasn't just about his conviction. It, it was about this interaction with this guard over him. And he, over, he interacted with, with this kind of a loyalty mentality. He would do that all throughout the book of Daniel. I think that's one of the reasons he was so effective in that culture that was so you know, against the things of God. How would loyalty over agenda change the way you interact with others and how you approach work? How would that change all that? Most of us spend a fair amount of our time working. If you're not doing that yet, you're probably going to do that, amen? You might as well figure out how to do it and do it well. And so I would encourage you to to grapple with that. Now we're to the word uh the letter e in the word lead it's excellence over privilege instead of privilege excellence instead of privilege we default in the western uh culture to rights and privilege when wronged daniel had no such fallback he had no rights and privileges he just he was basically you know enslaved to this culture so he was valued for what he could add what he could do well and god and endued him with powers. He gave him the ability to interpret dreams. And and so so Daniel became this very value-added commodity to to that culture. Uh, And listen, in in order for that to uh, be any good, he had to be really close to God. Amen? So when you find yourself in the margins, who do you have to get close to? Again, this is not hard. God, right? But who else was he close to? Those who hated God. Who was he interpreting dreams for? Those far from God. He was rubbing shoulders with those. And he, and, and he had value added to the culture. He, he was excellent in what he, what he did. They needed him. Listen, culture may not know this. It needs us. Amen? And it needs you to be close to God. And it needs you to bring what God has given you into culture and impact culture for the glory of Jesus. Amen? It doesn't know all this. doesn't need to know It still makes it true. Daniel was a student of his times. He was a disciplined and diligent worker. He, 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 he was disciplined in his life. How do you do in that regard? Are you following hard after Jesus? It's the best gift you can give to any circumstances. Jesus, are you doing that? Are you diligent? Are you hardworking? Are you authentic? Are you real? Are you for the people over you? Are you for the institutions that you work for? This kind of excellence will influence that situation towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the next point of lead. It's A. It's for alternatives instead of ultimatums. In Daniel chapter 1, we're told that Daniel and some of the other young men from the royal uh, families in Israel that were taken into captivity were without defect. They were handsome. They were full of aptitude and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And they were going to be taught the language of the Babylonians, fed the, from the king's table. What they were doing was what they thought was the best thing they could do to make these guys succeed. But Daniel didn't want to be defiled by the food. And instead of making an ultimatum, what did he do? He gave an alternative. Let's do this instead. People often lead with ultimatums, and therein lies a lot of the problem we face. I mean, I tell you what, whether it's in marriage, there's ultimatums all the time given. In the workplace, there's ultimatums all the time. Parenting, ultimatums. Oh, that doesn't work well with a 13-year-old, I can tell you right now in the church's ultimatums, in the government's ultimatums. I was thinking about this, I was remembering an old song. Old MacDonald Had a Farm, you remember that song? It's very theologically deep. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, and on his farm he had a bunch of issues. E-I-E-I-O, with an ultimatum here, and an ultimatum there, here an ultimatum, there an ultimatum, everywhere an ultimatum, Oh, McDonald, poor guy. That's our life. That's our world. And we Christians jump in this ultimatum thing way too quickly. People with power are often doing what they think works. we got to quit vilifying them and start asking God for creative alternatives. You follow what I'm saying? Quit vilifying those over you. And begin to ask God to give you insight and creativity for alternatives. He'll answer that prayer. Amen? You don't look so convinced. Amen. I'll say it to myself. Amen, Steve. Good ju- good point. Okay. Determination versus despair. Last point. Determination versus despair. Daniel faced many trying circumstances. One was um, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he wanted that dream interpreted, but he was a smart guy. And instead of telling everybody what the dream was, he th- said, you got to tell me what I dream, then I know that you'll be able to give me the interpretation. Otherwise, if I tell you what I dream, you'll just make something up. I don't know if it's true or not. And all the dream interpreters said, not fair. Nobody asked us to do this. So Nebuchadnezzar got mad and said, I'm going to just kill you all. That'll take care of you. Daniel was among those destined to be killed, and he went into the king, pleaded for some time. And the king gave him some more time. So he went back to his buddies and said, we got a situation. We need to seek God. We need to seek God. There's Daniel. Seek God. He's determined to seek God. He's not giving in to despair. And God showed up and gave Daniel the interpretation to the dream. And this determined one of God had this moment of praise that we read about in Daniel. It goes like this Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. This is a guy in the margins. Are you hearing this prayer? He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things, He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I'm in the margins. I'm a nobody, but you're doing mighty things to me, and I'm affecting the kingdom for your glory. Amen? Because he was determined. So I'm going to end here because we got to do communion. But I want you to think about what I just shared with you, this little ditty lead. Loyalty, excellence, alternatives, determination. Because oftentimes resistance looks more like a counteroffer, and submission looks more like what? I'm for the leader. I'm loyal. Amen? And if you remember this little ditty here, it'll help you. Okay, I gotta be loyal. I gotta, I gotta. I can bring value-added things here that nobody else can bring to the situation. I, I can do this with excellence. I've got, got to understand that God will give me creative alternatives. And God graced me to be a determined follow, follower of you. So like Daniel, right? We'll, we can go through multiple dynasties and still be faithful to our God. There's a time to submit. There's a time to resist. I just pray that this message brings a little light on that whole situation for you. May Jesus just grace us, right? To be full of wisdom to do with the times we find ourselves in.